Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. Today is what we call Laetere Sunday in Latin, for those of you who are familiar with that tongue. It is a day of the fourth Sunday in Lent in which we take a bit of a break. We lighten the color of the vestments to rose. This is rose. I do not wear pink. It is rose. Okay. And from this point on, during this season of Holy Lent, we have today, we have next Sunday, which is Passion Sunday, then we have Palm Sunday and start Holy Week, and then Easter, Pascha. We have a change in terms of the Church's attitude towards what we're commemorating. From Ash Wednesday until now, we've primarily been figuring out how to keep the fast, how we're going to pray more, how we're going to do more almsgiving and give to the poor, how we're going to forgive others. Uh, The emphasis has been upon our ascetic effort, trying to live our spiritual lives. From this point on, in terms of the hymnography and in terms of some of the readings and what have you, things begin to turn more and more towards what Christ has done rather than what we are doing. And so we'll go on and start focusing on something else. Hopefully by now you have to some degree figured it out and you're living a disciplined life. It may not seem all that much to you, but in this day and age, anything we can do is pleasing to God, believe me and may do you much more spiritual good than you have any idea it's actually doing right now. I'll mention that a little bit later. But before we get away from focusing on ourselves in terms of asceticism and repentance, there's one thing I'd like to talk to you about, and if you've got your little red booklets, yeah, red booklets, little black booklets, you look on page 30, And you will come to something that is referred to as the communion devotions. It's also in the big thing there, I think, isn't it? It was referred to as the communion devotions. At one time, it was referred to as the invitation to communion, which I always thought was a little weird. Uh, It should be called that, which is going to scare the bejesus out of you before you come forward to receive the body and blood of the Lord. And it starts off like this. Ye who do truly and earnestly repent you of your sins. That's number one. And are in love and charity with your neighbors. That would be number two. And intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God and walking from henceforth in his holy ways. This qualifies as number three. Three things you're supposed to be doing if you're planning on coming and forward to receive the body and blood of the Lord at Holy Communion. You know, we tend to come down here, and I'm no different because I'm as much wrapped up in the world as any of you guys. I shouldn't be, but I probably am. You know, I've got stuff on my mind as to what i got to do. i got to check the books to make sure they're okay and make sure the deacon hasn't messed it up, you know, so, you know. Uh, Get stuff ready. you know, clean out sensors, figure out what vestments are more, all this good stuff. you got stuff on your mind. There are prayers you're supposed to be saying and what have you. And it all, you know, on Sunday morning anyway, tends to go by as a bit of a blur. Because by the time, you know, we get down here and get in, you know, 
the last thing I probably am thinking about until I actually get into the Mass itself is encountering Jesus. And yet that is what we are here for. You can pray at home. You can read your Bible at home. You can turn on TV and watch the Mass on TV. If you get a decent Catholic station and they do a decent job of the worship, you can do that. All of that stuff you don't need to be here to do. The one thing they haven't figured out to do with their TV yet is a way to give it, have you give it communion, or it give you communion. But I'm certain there is somebody somewhere who is working on this. We could, in fact, do this entire thing with holographs. We don't need real clergy. You know, we could just show holographs. You could come, you know, and you could watch uh, them, you know, rather than us. And yet the whole purpose for us to be here is to be renewed by receiving the resurrected body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the bread and wine of the Eucharist. And so what this does is act as a kind of slap in the face to get your attention before we get on to the actual consecration of the gifts and to your actually receiving them. Ye who do truly and earnestly repent you of your sins. Now, can you honestly say that when you come down here on Sunday morning, you have done this? Have you, for example, come to confession on Saturday evening or even grab me real quick on Sunday morning and say, hey, I really got to do this, you know, and I will stop and listen. If we start a little bit late, that means everybody might be here on time. So have you really earnestly repented of your sins? This is not something that we do just occasionally. Most of you came to confession on Ash Wednesday. I will expect you all to come to confession sometime during Holy Week. I will hear confessions before and after any Holy Week service we have. doesn't matter how late we're here. But what does it mean to repent? Now, some of us who have come from other Christian backgrounds may be used to repent. You know, and the entire congregation goes, and you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's terrified. Or it may be something that is mentioned very little. The bottom line is that we have absolutely forgotten the need of repentance in our lives. The word itself doesn't even necessarily mean anything to us. How would you define it? Well, somebody might say, well, it means I should stop doing this or that. I should stop sinning. Uh, I should stop... Uh, You'd be close if you said, stop following my own will, you know, which is part of it. There are two parts to repentance. Number one, remembering there is a God, which we tend not to do a great deal. That every hour of every day, God is with us. Those who have been baptized into Christ have the entire Holy Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling within our noose, the, the, the part of our soul that is intelligent and reasoning. And we have forgotten that there is a God whom we offend. And we offend him by following our own self-will in so many things. Now, the ironic thing, of course, is that God, when he created us, created us with self-will. He created us with almost a fatal sense of self-determination. 
because he knew the only way he could have a relationship with us was a relationship that was based in freedom and in forgiveness and in mercy. If you have not read The, brother, read the Brothers Karamazov by the author Dostoevsky, I would recommend you do to it. deals with this issue in a very profound manner. Won't bore you with it now. We'll save that for another sermon. But God has given us this freedom with such a light touch that he controls it not at all. He gives us our freedom and immediately withdraws his hand as if it had never even been there. So that it is our responsibility as to the choices that we make or the things that we do. I have a friend who's a Benedictine monk, and he said when they're talking, we have a monastery up in Colorado that I'm associated with, and he said when new guys come in, the first thing we tell them is, number one, there is a God. Number two, you ain't him. So the first part of repentance is the number one, here is a God. Number two, we're not him. And so we have to stop pitting our self-will against God's will. That's the first warning that we receive before we come forward for Holy Communion. Number two, and are in love and charity with your neighbors. Doesn't say your family, doesn't say your BFFs, love and charity with your neighbors. And who is my neighbor? Well, it's whoever you encounter. Okay? We are called to live in love and charity. In a society which seems determined to tear itself apart over which candidate you support, you got to wonder if we're paying any attention to this at so at whatsoever. We judge. We make false judgments. We make superficial judgments. We make character assassinations. We get so angry, so incredibly angry. Down in Florida, somebody shot a 10-year-old kid in a road rage incident. I mean, come on, people. This is all about self-will. This is all about our desires, not dealing with our passions. Remember the definition of a passion in the Orthodox tradition is any sin that is habitual. Any sin that we keep uh, committing over and over and over, which in my case seems to be most of them, is a passion. And it is the passions that pull us away from God and the passions that we seek in our spiritual lives to try to overcome. Now, that can be hard to do because many of us have lots of passions. Passion does not mean sex, by the way, although that could be part of the problem for many of us. Uh, I personally think that anybody who needs a computer to sexually fantasize isn't trying very hard. But the fact is, with computer porn, uh, you know, lustfulness, that's part of it, but it's not all of it. Anger is a passion. Uh, lust is a passion. Uh, vengeance is a passion. Fear is a passion. All of those things that control us, all of those things that push our buttons and pull our steering, yank our chains, those are passions. And most of them have become so much a part of our emotional makeup that we don't recognize it. We don't see it. <clears throat> Let me tell you a story. A long time ago, 
I was actually the pastor of St. Elias Church here in Atlanta. That was 20, maybe 22 years ago now. I had been put in there because the priest who was there had to be removed for various issues which were not uh, conducive to having a good ministry in that parish. And we were hosting the 100th Archdiocesan uh, Convention. The 100th anniversary of Archdiocese is what I got stuck with doing. And my wife stayed in Florida, the family stayed in Florida, and she came up for the last part of the, for the week of the convention. And on Saturday night, there's a grand banquet, followed by a grand hofli, which is a big Arab dance for those of you who don't know what they do. If you're a Greek, it's a glende, you know. And prior to that, there is a cocktail party. We do all these religious things. You know. uh, a cocktail party at which people can come and meet the archbishop, you know, kiss his hand or whatever part of anatomy they can reach, give him money. Bishops give, people give bishops money. I've never understood this. Nobody gives me money, you know, but a bishop walks in, people start putting money in his hands, in his pockets. I've seen them put color TVs in the trunks of the cars. It's crazy. Uh, but they do this. And I'm supposed to take him down here and shepherd him around and have him meet and greet and that sort of thing. And we were up because I was the host pastor. I had this huge presidential suite, which was three times the size of my home in Florida. And my wife had brought three suitcases. You know, I had to send staff to pick her up at the airport. And she cannot find anything to wear. We've known this is coming. Everything is out on the bed all over the cloud, you know, and she can't find a dress to wear. Now, I'm, you know, supposed to be down there, you know, making it certain that people pony up and give as much money as possible, what have you, and I had to go. And I said, for God's sake, put something on. And she said, I can't, I don't have anything that I look halfway decent in. One would have thought she would have thought of that before she came up, but apparently it didn't occur. And so I said, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter what you wear. You always look halfway decent. And she takes offense at this. I mean, I was only trying to help. And it pushed a button. You're always putting me down. You're never constantly, you never support me. I said, I support you all the time. I finally left her muttering to herself and got down there and found out the archbishop was capable of collecting his own money. I wasn't needed there at all anyway. But what it did was push a button, because all of us have buttons. And spouses know how to push those buttons. They know precisely where to stick the knife, where it will do the most good. Because we don't get over these things. We don't repent, we don't put them behind us, we don't, hide, you know, we don't you know, get, have them cleansed. Okay. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about. We have all kinds of buttons that get pushed by people all the time, frequently people we don't even know, but the fact is we find it almost impossible to live in love and charity. Number three, and intend to lead a new life. Is that what you were thinking about when you came down here this morning? That you were going to leave leading a new life, a life that was qualitatively different from the life you walked in those back doors with? You're supposed to be. Because okay. you see, we're constantly about renewal. 
We're constantly about becoming new people. We're constantly about becoming transformed people. You know, you may go through Lent and say, well, I've gone through all of this and it has done absolutely nothing. But the fact of the matter is, if you have minimally tried, and I mean minimally, because most of us try to do nothing. If you have minimally tried to repent of your sins, to love a bit more, to be merciful to people you would not normally have been merciful to, to eat less, you know, if you haven't gone through Lent and lost weight, you've gotten something wrong. Uh, and give that money that you would have spent on food directly to the poor, not to someone. We'll do that in the church. We'll collect money for the, but I mean, directly to the poor. I don't care if you walk down the street and hand out dollar bills to people, but give it directly to the poor. You will have changed. You will come out at the end of Lent, by the time we get to the glorious light of Easter, a different person than when you came in. And it may not seem like much, but you don't know what looks like much from God's perspective. We're constantly down on ourselves. We're constantly beating up on ourselves. We're constantly saying, well, I, what I do is of no worth, you know, and I try to say my prayers every day, and I only manage to say them four days out of seven. Well, given the fact that you were saying them one day out of seven before Lent started, that's not bad. And God is pleased. And rather than giving offense to God, we're pleasing God. But we still beat up ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves for our weakness. And we are weak. That's why it's so difficult for us to grow. But as I said, if we are just trying, the only thing God wants is faithfulness and perseverance. He doesn't expect to be walking two inches off the ground by the time you get out of here today. He just wants you to be faithful and persevering in repenting, in loving, and in living to the degree that you can a new life. And you say it's hard. Yes, it is. It's hard for me. I'm 72 years old. I've been an Orthodox priest for 45 years. I've been an Orthodox Christian for 50 years. And every Lent I say, this is gonna, this, this Lent is gonna cure arthritis by the time I'm done with it, you know? And I get towards the end and I think, my God, I've done, okay, I've eaten veggie burgers until I got carrots coming out of my ears. Uh, you know, I, I, I give money to the poor and to the various things, you know, and I really do try to treat everybody, uh, not in this congregation, you're pussycats, it's easy, but in my home parish where I've got some people I'd really like to put their lights out, I've really tried to treat them with mercy and compassion and love, knowing that they are probably no more messed up than I myself am. And yet, I don't know what God's perspective is on my life. And I do know that I am more loving, that I am more merciful, that I am more compassionate. And I know that if I faithfully persevere at that, one of these days I'm going to face God and he's going to say, well done, thou good and uh, faithful servant. You were faithful in many things. You were faithful in small things, but you've also been faithful in large things. Continue that the next two Sundays. Think about Jesus. Think about his suffering for us. Think about the things that he went through. But don't forget the things you've been trying to do and to continue them so that when you get to the glory of Easter, 
We just don't say, oh, thank God, that's over. You know, we don't have to do this anymore until next Advent. You know, this is cool. It's only twice a month we got to get serious. No, we have to be serious the whole year round. But if you are faithful, and if you have been faithful this Lent, you will find it easier to continue. And you're going to fall and you're going to get up. You're going to fall and you're going to get up. You're going to fall and you're getting up. This All our lives are like this. It's the getting up that is pleasing to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.